0: Well, good evening. We are uh, beginning a new series on Sunday nights called Relentless. And uh, I wanted to do this series leading up to Refresh, but uh, we have uh, postponed Refresh. And so I wanted to be able to talk about in this season when everybody seems to be withdrawing, how do we maintain tenacity? How do we be relentless people in our pursuit of God, that we don't let the culture push us into its mold. So we're gonna be in the book of Daniel. We're not gonna really look at these series of messages in the prophecies of Daniel as much as the person, the character of Daniel. What made him stand out? We know he's one of the major prophets. We know that the prophets were divided into major and minor prophets, not because of one more important than the other, mostly because of the length of the books that bear their names. So we're going to look at Daniel, who is one of the key major prophets, and we're in Daniel chapter 1. So if you know where the major prophets are, you go Psalms, Proverbs, and you keep going right until you get to Daniel. And I want to talk to you about the tenacity required. If we're going to be relentless in our pursuit of God, not pursuit of other agendas... And a lot of people are relentless in pursuit of other agendas. But how do we be relentless in our pursuit of God? Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, the name Nebuchadnezzar means Nebo protects. And Nebuchadnezzar was supposed to be, Nebo was supposed to be the prince of the gods and a god of fire, which obviously comes into play with the three Hebrew children in the testing in the furnace of fire. But but Nebuchadnezzar is this king in Babylon, and he comes and takes Jerusalem and besieges it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, Interesting that the name Jehoiakim means the Lord will set up. The Lord will set up. So Nebuchadnezzar is chosen by God to go capture Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hands along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Sinai. Now the land of Sinai is Babylon. It's just another name, to the house of his God, Nebuchadnezzar's God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. So God has orchestrated the collapse and the captivity of Judah because of their sin, and he's used a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebo protects. The Babylonians thinking Nebo is the greatest of the gods. And he captures not only the king and the people, but he takes instruments out of the temple, vessels out of the temple. Then the king ordered, we're in verse 3, Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in which there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge who had ability to serve in the king's court he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the chaldeans so one of the great heroes of the bible is introduced to us in this book bearing his name daniel one of the major prophets he is one of the heroes his name means the judge of God, or God is my judge. So here's a pagan king whose name means that Nebo protects, and Daniel's name means God is my judge. In other words, Daniel, by the very calling of his name, was reminded that God would judge us, that God would evaluate how we live our lives. And I want us to focus on his character. Here's a man who is probably of royal birth. He's a teenager. He's in captivity. He's been enslaved. Now, what's interesting is here's a, a young man of royalty, young, but sin in Judah has made a prince into a pauper, and that's what sin does sin steals from us the riches of the goodness of God and puts us in places we never thought we would be. But how does this young man stand in the face of adversity? We need these lessons because our nation is reaping what we have sown. Judah fell not because God forgot them, but because they forgot God. They should have learned from the northern kingdom of Israel, which had already fallen. They had seen what God had done with Israel, but they didn't repent. Now, that is where we are today in our nation, in the, in the slide and moral decay of our nation and our values. We should have learned something from the decline of the great nations of Europe in the 20th century. And typically, America runs about 40 to 50 years behind England and behind Europe and we should have learned something from them. What we've learned is we've learned nothing from their decline as world powers and for their decline as centers of Christianity where uh, other faiths are growing far more than Christianity is in Europe and in England. More mosques being planted and started in England than there are churches being planted and started. We, We should have learned something But we haven't. We're on this downward spiral. And one of the wages of sin is bondage and death. So after about 150 years before Judah fell, they were warned by Isaiah and Micah, and then Jeremiah would come along and warn of the same thing. God would raise up a pagan nation to be an instrument of discipline and correction. So the first thing we have here is, let's just look at a little bit of background. It's on the notes on our app and uh, on our Facebook page. You can get access to the notes, and there's uh, numerous notes in this series just because of all the things that are covered. But in the midst of this background, we are in Daniel, and it's the first of three deportations of citizens of Judah. And the book of Daniel reinforces that this did not catch God by surprise it was the fulfillment of prophecy it was because of disobedience and that God oversees nations God shows us in history that kingdoms will rise and fall and nobody should be surprised when judgment comes on a disobedient nation now before I get into these next points part of my goal in this series is for you as parents and grandparents and for teenagers and gen x and gen whatever generation we are in now and it changes every few years because there's a new generation born how do we raise a generation of daniels how do we raise a generation of spiritual giants because right now it doesn't look like that's what we're doing how do we raise young men and young women who can face a secular culture, and not water down and lose their faith. Because God is apparently sending judgment. You know, the the leaders that a nation has are either signs of blessing or signs of judgment. And there's all kind of talk in this season that we're in about who God uses and what we want to do Uh, I quite honestly believe that the hand of God's protection on America, this is just my opinion, but the hand of his protection is lifting. You cannot do what we have done over the past 70 years and not have consequences. The abortion of babies, the mistreatment of people, you can't continue to do that and say, God bless America. I think we need to pray as a people under judgment, not a people under blessings. The blessing is, is like Judah, God has delayed it for a while so that we would seek him. But we aren't seeking him. We aren't seeing revival break out around this world. We're seeing a lot of riots break out, but not revival. And the church has gone quiet. So why was God sending judgment on Judah? First of all, they had forsaken the Mosaic law. Specifically, they had not let the land rest every seven years from planting crops. The sabbatical year, the, the earth is the Lord's. It was a reminder that even in their crops, they needed to trust God for his provision, that God took a portion, that God let the land rest. Secondly, idolatry idolatry. There was Jeroboam's calf worship and the worship of Baal. And we see both of these happening in our culture today and our children and our young people are being wooed by those who care nothing about right and wrong, care nothing about the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, and seeking to understand what it means to have a right and a wrong, not a theoretical right and wrong, but a right and wrong, and idolatry. We worship so many things in our country, although we don't build idols like it talks about in the Old Testament, we are still an idolatrous people. And if we don't relentlessly pursue God, we will not know how to pray, we will not know how to stand, and we will not understand the importance of Christians having integrity. Sam Gordon said, here's a book inspired by the Holy Spirit which is saturated with the supernatural from beginning to end. So think about that. In the midst of a pagan culture, in the midst of a godless world system, the supernatural of God, of Jehovah, is saturated in these pages in the book of Daniel. But Daniel is in the midst of this suffering because of the sin of others. If we pay attention to Daniel, particularly these first six chapters where we're going to focus, we can learn very quickly what God was saying to them and how he used them and what God is saying to us. Now, in this book, we're looking at a span of about 70 years which as you think about it is about the length of time since we as a nation started taking prayer out of the schools, we didn't want Bibles in the schools, we didn't want the Judeo-Christian ethic taught, we quit talking about Christmas and now it's the holidays, we don't call it Easter anymore because it's spring break and we have all these subtle and not so subtle things that have happened in our world over the last 70 years about the same amount of time from the time Daniel is taken into captivity until the end of the book. The book begins with him as a teenager. It ends with him somewhere in his 90s. Now, the psalmist describes this experience. Uh, You may have time to turn back a few pages or, or just listen. The psalmist describes this experience in the captives of Babylon In Psalm 137 in verse 1, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our hearts, For there our captors demanded us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Their problem was our problem. The environment, the culture had overwhelmed them. How do we live and sing and worship and praise God and live for God in the midst of a non-Christian worldview culture where we are aliens and strangers? Can we survive when we are driven out of our comfort zone? We hear a lot about wanting to be safe. We are not in a safe world on any level. The issue of our day is the lack of believers who are distinctively Christian. I'm not talking about being weird or isolationist. I'm talking about being his people in their land. Now, we used to say America is a Christian nation. I think we're far. Far past that, apart from a mighty revival and move of God. But how do we be his people in their land? Uh, Our city, our region is not predominantly Christ-centered. So how do we live out our faith in a world that doesn't want to hear about Jesus Christ? The Bible says we are aliens and strangers in this world. The Bible calls us ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom. Will we cave in? Will we give up or will we stand up? Everything we thought was nailed down, everything that my parents and my grandparents probably thought were nailed down, are coming apart. But in this world, God has called us to a purpose. And and we have three purposes. First of all, we are supposed to, as a church, to storm the gates of hell. We're not supposed to be on the defensive side, we're supposed to be on the offensive side, storming the gates of hell. That's the first thing. Then we're to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil. If we are standing, we're standing against this world system. We're not caving into it. And thirdly, we are to spread the gospel. Now, the question is, Whether it's the generation that we are investing in or our own generation, are we personally committed to and modeling storming the gates of hell, standing against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and are we spreading the gospel? If we're not, we have already become a part of the culture. We've already been sucked in to this world system, and we can wear a Christian t-shirt, and a cross around our neck but honestly if we're not storming the gates of hell if we're not standing against the enemy and if we are not spreading the gospel the culture has already begun to dominate our thinking so here's the test point number two the king says get me the best and the brightest we will enslave them we will indoctrinate them we will brainwash them for the purpose of serving a pagan culture and a pagan world system. Sinclair Ferguson says that the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem, which will come later, is a microcosm of world history between the people of God and the people of this world. You see, until we see God in history, that history is his story, we will fail to look for God's hand and God's plan when we are in a crisis or when a nation is in captivity. We will retreat instead of being relentless. One of the dangers of this technological world that we live in is we have begun to let politicians and pundits and analysts be the only ones who can explain how to live in this world. And that, my friends, is the purpose of kingdom-minded people. We are to get above the yapping and talking and multiple voices of the pundits and have the voice of the prophet and the preacher and the teacher in this world. Our destiny is not in the hands of Washington, Beijing, Moscow, England, China, any other nation. Our destiny is in the hands of God. And every conflict you see has at its core the spiritual conflict that began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. So when we are in a time of testing, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Let me just give you three. Number one, where is God in this? You need to look for God in these moments. Not look To your senator or your congressman or to the president or to the mayor, you need to look for God first because he's the only one that has a real answer. Where's God in this? Secondly, how does he want us to respond? How does God want us to respond? Daniel is a phenomenal example of responding in a godless culture. We should learn from him and we should teach it to our children. Thirdly, how should we live? How should we live? Not just respond, but in day-to-day, in our living among one another, in our actions and interactions, are we in relentless remnant of the people of God that are standing with the Lord? Isaiah had prophesied these events in Isaiah 39 and verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will come become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Isaiah prophesied that what was going to happen to Daniel and to Judah was going to happen in such specific terms that he even said that some of the children would be taken away and become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Although Hezekiah had led in reforms, the nation continued to slip and it went up and down with kings that did right like their father David or did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the only hope for change is repentance and revival. Daniel would have known these words from Isaiah because he was obviously taught the truths of God's word. He's a young man forcibly removed and taken into captivity in around 605 B.C. But he had been born in the days of revival and awakening under King Josiah. He had seen God work. He had been influenced by godly people. He had been influenced by the uncompromised preaching of prophets like Jeremiah. He loved God with his own heart. Don't underestimate how important it is to pour into your children for the day that they hit the streets and take a job in a secular world or go to a secular school because they are going to need to know what they believe and why they believe it. Daniel did. He was conscious of God's presence and he was conscious of God's power. He was a prisoner. He had been taken away from everything he had ever known as a child and as a teenager and taken into captivity, but he did not waver. Think about it. Along with the best of the best, King Nebuchadnezzar takes these young men to brainwash them and to program them, but he also takes the holy things out of the temple. Why did he do it? Nebuchadnezzar wanted to say and raise a generation. Please listen if you are a parent. He wanted to raise a generation that would never know that there had been a God in Israel and he wanted to conquer a people to say to the ones he conquered, your God couldn't stop me. And that's the world we live in. This is not a battle between flesh and blood, between political parties. This is a battle of worldview. Do we believe the Christian worldview or a compromised Christian worldview? Or do we just go with the flow? The king had set it up in such a way that it would have been easy for Daniel away from home. Let's just say you're sending your kid off to college. You're sending your kid off to school. You're sending your kid off to another town to live and work, and he's got to make new friends. Are they going to be like Daniel and stand? Or are they going to get in that new environment and look around and say, you know what, let's just go with the flow. What our parents don't know won't hurt them. What we do is now our business. It's useless to stand up for what we believe. But Daniel's testimony is very clear. Nebuchadnezzar wants to wipe out any remembrance of the God. But Daniel's testimony is there is a God in heaven, and he is in charge. So what is said of Daniel should be said of us? Let me give you some thoughts here quickly. We stand for Jesus in a hostile world. We stand for Jesus. We don't stutter when we have to speak. Remember, Jesus said to the apostles, they'll bring you before kings. Uh, this is after Pentecost. i so will bring you before kings. And don't worry, God will tell you what to say. We stand for Jesus in a hostile world. Well, I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Then that's a coward. That's not courage. Secondly, we are willing to face whatever comes our way, but we will not compromise. You read what's laid down in the book of Daniel. Every decision he makes to stand for God could have cost him his life. We can't even speak for God when we're around our Christian friends because we're afraid we'll come off as some kind of fanatic. We choose to walk in the ways of God. What are the ways of God? They're defined for us in the Word of God. We walk according to the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are people of prayer. Daniel is known for his prayers. You read the book of Daniel and you look at the incidences in his life, He's praying, he's crying out to God. And we believe God is sovereign and we choose to be his witnesses. Now, if we were having a service tonight, I would invite the young people to respond to an invitation song. And I would invite parents to bring their children as a witness and as a testimony and as a memorial stone. And I would invite you to sing an old invitation song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Moms and dads, grandparents, young people, If that's not who we are, then we are making a mockery of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are trampling the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are failures as witnesses of Jesus Christ in a world that needs it as much as ever. Are you relentless? Or are you just convenient? Is your Christianity in a silo of Sundays, or is it working itself out every day of the week wherever you find yourself? Now, we're going to pick up, really, in Daniel chapter 1 again in the next message that we do out of Relentless called the Test of Character, and that's where we'll be the next time. Let me pray for us. Father, raise up young Daniels, raise up young Esthers, women and men, young men and young women who will stand without apology, without fear, for truth and for right and for justice and for Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen.